News. While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Good evening. Good evening. Welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I uh, hope you had a good weekend. I did. Um, we had a great Friday show. Uh, Chris and I, we gave away those Red Sox tickets to Joe in New Bedford. Joe, I, I hope you got to go to the game with your dad and enjoy it. Uh, if not, there'll be more opportunities thanks to our friend, uh, former New Bedford Mayor Scott Lang of Lang, Exa, Ferris, and Bullard. Um, the law firm of Lang, Lang Exa, Ferris, and Bullard. Great local law firm. Staple law firm, really, in the South Coast. So, um, Chris will be back later in the week. We've got a good lineup of guests planned. We've got State Rep Tony Cabral coming in Wednesday at 7. We've got school committee candidate Jim O'Brien coming in from Rochester at 7 tomorrow. Um, Thursday, Jess Machado will be filling in uh, for me uh, as I have some prof- professional commitments um, that uh, I need to obligate. Uh, I, I'm Professional obligations I need to fulfill. And so Jess will be filling in, uh, manning the ship for me. Uh, Friday we'll be back, uh, Chris and me, with our with our with our typical Friday night uh, fun. But for now, um, we're joined by Jared Valenzola. Jared Valenzola is uh, a radio broadcaster in a station um, elsewhere in an <laughs> <laughs> outside of elsewhere, BSM's range. Outside outside of our range, um, but with our with our with our digital listenership, we really span across the Commonwealth, really across the country. Yeah. So um, so Jared, uh, you were also the county commissioner of Plymouth County. Now for people who are, we have a great Plymouth County audience. We, sure. you know, we have uh, Rochester, Rochester, Marion, Mattapoisett, Plymouth, Middleborough, Wareham, Carver. We've got people from all over Plymouth County tuning in to WBSM, tuning into South Coast tonight and listening on the podcast, which you can get on WBSM.com, the WBSM app, uh, Apple Music, our Apple uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you can get your podcast, you can listen to South Coast tonight. Jared, you're the county commissioner, um, and I always think it's important to talk about this because it's it's a it's a really it's a big job, and it's one that a lot of people don't necessarily know about. It's not as high profile as say like Plymouth County DA or Bristol County DA right. or the sheriff's office, right? But it's an important job. Can you tell us more about uh, the your your role as the Plymouth County commissioner? Thanks, Marcus. Yeah, and it's great. This is, I think, my first show with you in daylight, which yeah. is awesome. The yeah. sun is still shining here on the South Coast. So, um, yeah, you know, we, we have a big job. It's a big county. You know, one of the things I... I it's huge. It, yeah, I remarked to people, it, it starts in Hull and Hingham. Keep in mind, and I, I, I had had a time for myself last month, early last month, and in my remarks, I decided to mention the furthest North Lighthouse and the furthest South. And as I pointed out, Plymouth County starts with Boston Harbor Light in Hull, and extends all the way down to Ned's Point Lighthouse in Mattapoisett. Incredible. So it is a remarkable amount of space. When I ran in 2020, I was forced to do robocalls due to COVID. And I, I hate robocalls. Everyone hates robocalls. But mm-hmm. I'd always start every robocall with, like you, I hate robocalls. But in a district that is nearly the size of Rhode Island, with a population almost the size of Wyoming, this yeah. is the quickest way to reach you. So uh, we are one of the few remaining counties left in Plymouth. Plymouth, Bristol, Norfolk, Barnstable, Dukes, and Nantucket. 
are the only counties left in Massachusetts. And I think that's unfortunate because there's still so many roles that we do and we fulfill. Um, but the biggest and chief among them. Those are been, all the counties with a county commissioner. With county commissioners, county yeah. treasurers. Um, yeah. Every county in the state still has sheriffs, but the sheriffs run of the Department of Corrections now. They used to be in the county commissioners. They were. They yeah. were the last Up to go. Up until like 2009, 2010. Yeah. 2010 when the clock, when the calendar flipped, uh, the sheriff's departments went to the Department of Corrections. Um, but the counties that have remained, whether some of them have schools, obviously Bristol County has Bristol Aggie, Norfolk County has a school. Um, Barnesville County has a lot of regional planning. Plymouth County had still a lot of old vestigial powers still left, really maintaining registry of deeds buildings, uh, maintaining our three courthouses in Hingham, Brockton, and Wareham. Um, we have, uh, we, we also manage the um, burn grant, so which is regional procurement for public safety um, equipment support uh, for the towns to participate in that. I know Middleborough is one of the towns that participates in that. But the biggest thing that really put especially Plymouth County on the map was the management of the CARES Act. And I think this is why it's important. First, to your point, Mark, is who you elect into these positions. And secondly, having these positions still left, long story short, and your listeners that have uh, heard me on here before have heard this before as well, we were granted $90 million of federal CARES Act money. The state demanded we give it back. Bristol and Norfolk County gave it back. And to jump to the end of the story, when Plymouth County wrapped up that program, we executed that program at less than 1%, which to my knowledge is still the lowest administrative cost in the entire nation. Mm -hmm. We were able to give towns 50% more money in Plymouth County than what towns of like size received outside of Plymouth County. And I make the example, New Bedford to Brockton, which is the major city in my county. New Bedford was capped at $8 million from the Commonwealth. I, I'm not sure if they got all. Last I checked, they got $6 million. They may have gotten it all. The city of Brockton received $19 million from wow. the Plymouth County CARES Act. Um, the counties that unfortunately did return that money, the state ended up returning that money to Washington, D.C. anyway. Now, for the conservatives that are listening, they might think, wow, why is a conservative touting spending federal money? I look at it this way. The federal government takes a dollar from me. I don't like that they take that dollar, and I'd like them to stop taking that dollar. But if they take that dollar and they're going to offer me 75 cents back, I'm going to take the 75 cents yeah. back and make sure it stays here, at least get it back into our community. So we... We were able to execute that. Um, we did it faster. We did it cheaper. And we, we, we were able to give more money to our communities, which really has completely flipped the narrative on what counties were. Because counties were getting a bad rap. You know, not necessarily the ones in this area, um, but I, I think we've talked about it before. Middlesex County had a pension scandal. Worcester County, I think, also had a pension scandal issue. Middlesex County had an issue with their hospitals, too. It was their yeah. hospitals, right. So yeah. a lot of it was, it was sort of this you know, unfortunate circumstance to your point where folks elected into positions that they maybe shouldn't have, maybe didn't understand, didn't understand budgeting. Um, we work extremely well together in Plymouth County. My colleagues, Commissioner Ryan, Commissioner Hanley and I uh, work extremely hard and we are the best bang for your buck in terms of government. And, you know, in a lot of ways, and this is no knock in the state, but it's a big state. It's 351 cities and towns. The budget is going to be close to $55 billion, which is incredible to think. But it's a large state. If you have an issue and you're dealing with a state agency, you need to call the state. And you need to deal with the bureaucracy and the literal red tape that it endears dealing with the state. Plymouth County, if there's been an issue with the CARES Act or now for us, uh, the American Recovery Plan, ARPA, you call me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? You call Commissioner Wright, call Commissioner Hanley, call Treasurer O'Brien. We're local. We are literally elected by, by 
by the whole county. So it's not like you're dealing with bureaucrats in Boston, and that's not a put down of them, but they are in Sounds Boston. Like it. Uh, no, it's not. I've been one, and that doesn't mean to sound like a put down, but it, but they're dealing with the whole Commonwealth. We're dealing with Plymouth County, sure. And I think that's the advantage that we, Bristol, Norfolk. I think that's what these in Barnstable, especially, are able to advance. Is that advantage? Give that advantage for the municipalities that comprise these counties to be able to call commissioners, call lo- more local offices, but we're large enough where we're regional in the sense that we can manage these funds and execute savings. Right now with ARPA, we're trending at a 3% administrative cost. The national average is seven. So once again, with Plymouth County's ARPA program, we're executing those savings and we're getting those funds out the door. And those funds, and I know the communities in the in the listenership here are dealing with water and sewer infrastructure issues. These ARPA funds are going to address those at least for some Plymouth County communities. Um, but we are executing those savings. Executing those savings means more money to our communities and potentially for Plymouth County to begin executing and starting some more regionalized programming, which we're looking into doing. Because I think that, that Massachusetts is needlessly expensive when you have when you have the constant repetition of services that we have across the commonwealth 350 and i'm not necessarily advocating that we don't i understand where i live i understand the landscape but there are so many things that we do that we replicate at least in plymouth county across 27 communities that if if plymouth county and i think we're starting to get there where a lot of communities are looking to us to begin serving as the vehicle to regionalize certain services and certain programs, I think that'll be a good thing. I think that's a great thing for the taxpayers, for the voters. It's a great thing for for budget measures in these communities, for their budgeting, to be able to execute these savings, look to do other things in these towns that the towns should be focusing on rather than than rep, repeating services. And being the vehicle for that is is where I'm hoping we can get Plymouth County going in the in the near future. We're speaking with Jared Valenzuela. He's going to be joining me for the evening. Uh, he's a county commissioner in um, in Plymouth County. So, Jared, um, you you are unfortunately a Republican, and so <laughs> I or fortunately, I love being a Republican. Um, so proud, lifelong Republican. Well, 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 we'll get into your your sort your bona fides on that, but yeah. um, but uh, you know, it was interesting. You talked about getting money back that you've already spent, right? And it reminded me of John Kasich in 2016 when they were trying to hit him with uh, opting. He was one of the, Ohio is one of the states that opted into Obamacare. Right. And so he had had the similar, he had had the similar um, position that, listen, this is a taxpayer money that Ohio uh, Ohioans right mm-hmm. have already spent. And I had an opportunity to return that money back uh, to to them in some way, in some meaningful way. And so, why wouldn't I take that opportunity? Right. The only way, the only reason not to, is some ideological slash spiteful reasons that aren't really practical. So, um, I guess you know, there's, I think. Um, a willingness on your end, uh, at least, to to sort of you know strike some compromises that benefit your constituents rather than being you know so steadfastly ideological that you know you 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 um you shaft them from like right. millions of dollars of, of opportunity there tens of millions of dollars and and you know my my approach to government is is the pyramid approach and and I think that and I don't know if that's necessarily rooted in conservatism I, I'm very conservative when it comes to the national government, 
I'm very much uh, an anti-federalist in the historical sense of what that means, mm-hmm. um, going back to the arguments in Washington's cabinet. But I understand, to your point, Massachusetts sends for every 70, you know, for every dollar we send to Washington, D.C., Massachusetts receives about 75 cents back, whereas you look at some other states, they send a dollar, they get a dollar fifteen, dollar twenty five. My perspective is I don't think the dollar should be going to D.C. to begin with. Yeah. But it is. I'm not president of the United States. I'm not a member of Congress. So I'm not changing that. I can't change that. I can come on the air and complain about that. Yeah. And we can have a long, robust well, conversation the, the about ca- that. The CARES but, Act was was passed in bipartisan. Trump was president. Right. Yeah, Trump was president, Democratic House, Republican Senate. And what's interesting about ARPA, and I appreciate the compliment, Marcus, what's interesting about ARPA is I wanted to do it. And my colleagues did too. The Democrat treasurer, Tom O'Brien, he did not want to do it at first. He mm-hmm. didn't, he saw that there could potentially be a lot of perils and pitfalls with the county doing the opera program because it was a three-year program. It has way more stringent, as it should. I'm not in any way saying this as a complaint. It should have stringent reporting requirements. These are taxpayer dollars and they should be spent appropriately and they should be spent wisely. Um, he was afraid, rightfully so, that the county could get tripped up. But luckily, we were able to put together a robust, uh, thorough vetting process of all of our applications. We share that cost with Bristol, Norfolk, and Barnstable counties. So we split that cost four ways. So they execute, the savings we're executing in Plymouth County, the same savings that Bristol, Norfolk, and Barnstable counties commissioners and treasurers are executing as well. It means collectively as four counties, that's more money for the communities within the county or more money for the county organization to be able to spend on improvements to say their buildings. I know obviously Bristol again has a school. They may need to address some matters there, courthouses, things like that. Um, but we we had that conversation and we set up a robust vetting process so to protect the county because we're the end user of these monies. And that's the one thing you know with ARPA that I think some folks forget where we were a pastor with CARES, we are generally serving as a pastor with ARP as well, but it is Plymouth County's money first. In theory, we could have taken all $100 million and built housing. We could have improved courthouses with air quality systems, whatever. I mean, we could have found ways to spend it on ourselves. We decided not to, but we're the end user of that, and we are responsible for that. So if we give money to a community and it turns out it was spent inappropriately, Plymouth County's on the hook for it, not the community. But it was important to me to make sure that we did that because, again, it's about respecting the taxpayer dollars that we are being given the custodialship of. And to that end, I, I'm able to take some of my conservative principles, and I say my, it's we collectively, it's the three commissioners that I'm on the board, well, two other commissioners I'm with, and the treasurer applying those conservative principles. And, and as I talk about often, so often Republicans, especially in Massachusetts, don't care about these seats. They mm-hmm. don't really care about these seats nationally, as you pointed out. Democrats want every single seat in Massachusetts. Yeah. Just as I want every single seat as a Republican. That's, you know, the competitive side of it, right? You know, you go into a football What's game. What's the point otherwise? Right. What's the point otherwise? But I, I think what I hope to demonstrate, and I do so as, again, the chairman of the board, we're the only Republican majority board or commission in Massachusetts that's partisanly elected. I hope we demonstrate, A, that we can be bipartisan still. We can work together. We can collaborate. We work well with our legislative delegation in Plymouth County. We work well with the Democrat treasurer, the Democrat register. But we demonstrate what common sense, honest, conservative governance looks like. There's no frills. There's no name calling. There's no 
rah-rahness about us. It's it's getting down, rolling up our sleeves, doing the work, and applying conservative principles in practice by serving on the board. And that's a, a finer point that I think Republicans, unfortunately, in Massachusetts miss because we run to make points, a lot of Republican candidates in this state, and even nationally now, they're running to make a point. They don't care if they win or they lose, as long as they made a point. Well, what good is that when you're getting steamrolled by the opposition party's policies and procedures, whether it be nationally or even here locally? So, you know, we really appreciate the opportunity to serve. I'm grateful for the opportunity to serve and continue to apply common sense, conservative leadership principles to Plymouth County. What's your so you're involved with a lot of like Republican groups? Can you can you tell us more about your involvement with yeah. the Republicans? Yes, I am the chairman of the Republican Town Committee in Rockland, and to the best of my knowledge, I believe I'm the longest tenured Republican Town Committee chairman in Plymouth County. Uh, that is mostly because I've tried to give it up, but nobody's wanting to do yeah. it. Uh, I'm also the vice chairman. I know that is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, vice chairman of the Plymouth County Republican Club. And I am on the National Committee for the Massachusetts Federation of Young Republicans. So I serve much like the Young Democrats. Our organization, the Young Republicans, mirrors the Republican National Committee in pretty much in practice. So we, yeah. we have a National Committee man, National Committee woman, the chair. The three of us represent Massachusetts nationally, and that's replicated across the 50 states. So. I was actually in Cleveland. I'm actually wearing my NFL Hall of Fame T-shirt. Yeah, I, I, in, noticed, uh, I noticed that. So uh, is that where you got the shirt in Cleveland? Yes. Well, went down to Canton. We It was okay. actually a quick trip. I had been to Cleveland before. Um, we have a big convention in Dallas coming up in August where cool. we'll elect a new chairman. Um, and that usually, I mean, the one we had in Indianapolis had close to 1,000 people attend okay. it, which was great. Yeah. Uh, this one... This one's shaping up to be interesting. You know, this, this was our last meeting before that. I actually had dinner with the one of the candidates for chair out in Cleveland, uh, who I'm in, intending on supporting and voting for in Dallas come August. Um, but don't want to do too many spoiler alerts. Not that I think too many delegates for Massachusetts are listening, <laughs> young Republicans. Um, but several Republican presidential campaigns have reached out or been reached out to to attend. Mm. So uh, it looks like there will be a couple of candidates for president that will be joining us in Dallas. Uh, that not, none of them's conf- none of them are confirmed yet. Uh, I was hoping for a former president to join us because I've never met a former president. The one that lives in Dallas and actually one of only two Republican former presidents now, President Bush, uh, unfortunately, to my knowledge, has declined an invite. He doesn't really do political engagements, but. You know, that would yeah, be I wouldn't nice. wouldn't him. No, I wouldn't either. I mean, it would sort of be different, though. I mean, we're yeah. the young Republicans. It's not like we're, you know, it's not like we're trying out candidates or anything, really. You know, yeah, he yeah, maybe yeah. could come, but that's all right. I, I will say I'm looking for, I've been to Texas. I've never been to Dallas. So I've been to Houston and I've been to Austin. I've been to Houston, too. I have friends that live there. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's a great state. Um, so I'm looking forward to Dallas. And if I can't meet President Bush, if he doesn't come, his library's in Dallas. So I can knock another presidential library off the uh, off the list and try and get to his library. But we're looking forward to that. So it's um, it's it's interesting for me. I think it, it gives me a, a cross-section of the views that are sort of permeating the party, whether it be with my friends nationally uh, and then my friends, you know, in the state and at the county level. Um, it's an interesting balancing act these days, being a Republican and being a Republican elected, because there's so much there's so much that folks want you to do that I think it's difficult to navigate in this state, being a Republican in Massachusetts, understanding 
by default, we're outnumbered. We're outnumbered three to one. Whether we like it or not, that's the basic math, mm-hmm. right? So navigating that, navigating the factions that exist within this party, um, but then getting a lot of the feedback nationally. It's great talking to my friends from the Midwest, from the West Coast, from Florida that have so much, so many different perspectives um, and getting some of what they're doing and understanding some of what they're doing to hopefully make myself uh, a better candidate because they have successes in those states. So it's, um, so it's fun. It's, it's an interesting challenge, but I, I use it a lot of times as an opportunity to absorb information, absorb different points of view, absorb a lot of what other people have to say and think about it and sort of process it against what I believe are my own cornerstone principles. So we're speaking with Jared uh, Valenzola. He's going to be here with me for the evening. Uh, He is um, a Republican. He's a county commissioner in Plymouth. And we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff uh, this evening. You can join us at 508-996-0500. We'll do some local topics, some national topics, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun. So uh, we could talk about TV, too. Last time we had a whole show. Oh, yes. People love that. You know what? From that, I have learned what... Each of our local elected officials' favorite TV shows are. It's great. Um, yeah, it is. It is great. There's, you know, a lot of Sopranos. Uh, the Naturally. Wire. Rep. Chris Markey said he loves The Wire. Uh, Chris Hendricks said The Sopranos. Sheriff Tom Hodgson was uh, Bonanza. Ah, <laughs> which, he might be showing his age which there is on a, that one. But it's very, un, <laughs> it's very on brand. Oh, uh, yes. So, yes, it is. Yeah. I actually just wrapped up. The first four seasons, Yellowstone. I, I, for some reason, Peacock only has those first four seasons, so I the can't watch the first half of the season. is five. weird. Yeah, it's, it's different. Uh, it's excellent, though. Excellent Great show. show. Yeah, it. it's a really good show. So we're gonna um, we're gonna you know what you know what um you know what I say Yellowstone is is it's it's billions if billions was a western right because it's really that same type of stuff. Oh it's, yeah, it's a bunch of rich jerks arguing over, you know, uh, how they're going to amass more wealth. Right. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> like the guy, the the uh, the main character becomes the governor just so he can, just so he can keep his land. <laughs> uh, spoiler, so he does win, huh? <laughs> <laughs> of course he wins. Uh, naturally, he's going to win. Of course he wins. Of course. We got to take a break. And we're back. We're with uh, Jared Valenzola. He is a uh, Republican County Commissioner. He's going to be here with me for the evening. We're going to talk about some local issues, some national issues. As a local Republican and a very active one, Jared, I'm curious as your thoughts on this um, upcoming presidential election. I mean, I shouldn't say upcoming because it's really going on now. Biden's announced, Trump's announced a while yep. back. DeSantis is uh, at some point, I think, going to... Uh, going to announce right i think he was waiting for a resign to run law in florida to be changed which uh, according to an article because marco because marco rubio had uh, marco rubio had a similar predicament when he ran for president didn't he sort of so there was a lawsuit on florida's right to run law that exempted running for congress because that, that violates the constitution frankly yeah so by making that a requirement for anybody that's in Congress. And when Rubio ran for president in 2016, he did not have to vacate because he didn't have to vacate as senator. But he wasn't allowed to run. I don't think he was allowed to run or he didn't decide to initially. And then when his he, campaign his, fizzled out, he yeah. ended it just in time to jump back in the race and get a seat back. He absolutely did. So yeah. Florida does have sort of this weird right resign to run law where you can't 
if you want to run for something else, and this only applies for no for non-federal offices, um, first of all, you can't if your office is concurrent, you can't run to be nominated twice, which is the same in Massachusetts, I believe. Like I, I can't run for re-election for county commissioner next year, and also run for state senate. Like mm-hmm. I can't appear on the ballot twice. Yeah, it's got to be one or the other. So Florida has a similar rule. But they also have a rule where, say, I guess, if DeSantis decided he wanted to run for U.S. Senate next year, he would have to resign being guy. And I don't even know if Florida Senate seats are open. I don't think they are. But he would have to resign being governor yeah. um, to do that. So that restriction only applies to their state offices. So the same was is applicable if he were to run for president. Um, they okay. have changed that law to exempt you, to exempt running for president. If you run for president of the United States, you don't have to resign um, your position Again, governor, because like I don't think a state rep in Florida is going to run for president, yeah, right, uh, or state senator. So that's so I think once that has changed, um, now that has changed, um, I expect him to jump in. Um, it's interesting to me that he still hasn't. But that being said, does he really need to? Because he's no, governing the state, he doesn't need to. He's executing conservative policy. Mm-hmm. He already has Trump running attack ads on him. So Trump, in on one hand, says I, I he's on a threat, it, and then on the other I hand, thought, runs attack. I, I thought it was a him. good attack ad, actually. <clears throat> well, put, it's the putting the, fingers thing. Yeah, is that the one you're talking about? That one I've seen too. I've seen the putting fingers one, which is creative. I, for me, as a Republican, well, it's interesting though because his attacks are certainly the types of attacks you'd expect from Biden and from Democrats. Yeah. It's the type of attacks that you would expect on. Um, you would expect them to come from the left on a Republican candidate. So I kind of note the irony that that Trump is running attack ads that you would expect from the left against again someone who. Trump is by no means a conservative. He's a populist. He's a nationalist, but he's not really conservative, whereas DeSantis is a dyed-in-the-wool conservative. So I do sort of like sitting back and kind of watching. I very seldom opine, um, but I do kind of like watching that dynamic play out mm-hmm. within the conservative movement, right? Because the conservative movement claims they want a dyed-in-the-wool conservative, and then you have a dyed-in-the-wool conservative DeSantis, but you're skewing them for Trump who has some conservative positions, but by and large... I'm curious to know what the ideological differences between the two are. Uh, Well... Because I haven't seen any daylight. Right. Well, I think if you look at... And that's a good point, Marcus, because I'm always one that believes in what the actions are. And by and large, the actions of President Trump was appointing three conservative justices of the Supreme Court, which got Roe versus Wade overturned. You can't take that away from him. The famous list. Right. So, I mean... But now Trump talks about maybe having less pro-life bona fides? I don't, I don't know. So, I mean... Yeah. So Well, it's become unpopular. Right. So, you, you look at... But, again, you can only look at what he did, and you can only look at what DeSantis does, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I talk is cheap, right, at yeah, the end right. of the day. So, um, there really isn't a lot of daylight. I think DeSantis is the only one in any way, shape, manner, or form that could even plausibly beat Trump in the primary. I still think that's a long shot. I I really ultimately think it's Donald Trump's to lose. Yeah, I um, agree. Which, you know, to me is maybe a little unfortunate. I think, um, I think DeSantis possesses a lot of the personality that could translate. I think while Trump might be up in some polls now, you know, being as involved as you have been for the years you have been involved on the Democratic side, a day in politics is a lifetime. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. We're 18, literally 18, what, 18 months away. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're literally a year and a half away from this election right now. Um, 
anything can happen one way or the other. Um, well, so, but Biden is beatable. But I, I, I think if you yeah. nominate Trump again, and, and if he does, then people already voted. People already basically voted in that election. That's right, kind of the problem. Isn't it? Yeah, and their mind has already been made up. Right. Yeah. I mean, like there is no. I don't think there is no candidate, at least that I've seen in all the years I've studied American politics and presidential politics. At least in recent memory, there is no candidate that I think has been able to like nobody has their mind made up one way or the other more than they do when it comes to Donald Trump. Either you really love him or you really hate him. There are very few like me that are indifferent towards him. I I don't care. Like, I mean, he's running fine. Um, I I can't imagine I will vote for him in the primary in March. But again, there's a lot that can happen between now and March when we vote on Super Tuesday in Massachusetts. Um, I am looking forward to someone like DeSantis um, at least entering the conversation. And, you know, the last point I'll make is I note with that attack ad talking about, you know, one of the things that the left does well but unfairly is frame entitlement reform as taking something away where Republicans are trying to be the adults in the room by pointing out that these entitlements, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, are currently on a trajectory where they are going to be insolvent. They are going to run out of money. And something needs to be done to ensure that doesn't happen. So when they hammered DeSantis on some of the things that he voted on and proposed in Congress, it was to maintain the solvency of those programs for the elderly, for folks who've paid into it. Well, well, I say, I cynically say at 34, I'll never see Social Security at the present trajectory it's on. I'm never going to see it. You're never going to see it at the, at the present trajectory it's on unless something changes. I mean, when, when Social Security was, was enacted, you had 14 people paying in for every one that took out. You're down to like one and a half persons now. Eventually, you're going to have more people taken out that pay into it. Something has to be done. Well, I think the problem is is that you, one, you're you're relying, I think, pretty heavily on a on a older population to vote for you, and if you're going to do that, then you're going to need to not be running on a platform of taking away Medicare, Medicaid, or so not Medicaid because right, everybody everybody sees Medicaid as something for somebody else, not them, but right. uh, uh, Social Security, et cetera. Um, you'd have to run on the. Uh, you can't necessarily. You always have to square the circle on that. I, th- I, I think because it's just something people have. They've had it for Medicare has been what for sixty years. Yeah, going on that, sixty uh, years. That was Linda LBJ. Yeah, yeah. Great Society legislation. Social Security's been around since the thirties, forties. It was FDR. Um, so you know, it is taking something away in the and with respect to the fact that it's you know it's going to be. It's going. It's something that people have had for a long time, and they're still paying in. A lot of people are still paying into. Certainly, a lot of voters are still paying into, and they expect. Well, they are, and and by no means do Republicans, nor do I, and nor do I think DeSantis, when he was a member of Congress, was doing this. It's pointing out the mathematics of it. At the end of the day, yeah, it, the current trajectory is you. You are currently projected. You being Social Security is currently projected to have more people that are taking out, I do air quotes there for a radio program, there are more people that are going to be receiving benefits than what is being paid into it. Yeah, It it will eventually become financially insolvent. So when Republicans talk about entitlement reform, 
the left and a lot of talking heads in the media, unfortunately, don't want to have the real conversation, which is we need to do something without taking anything away. And I think something can be done without taking it away. Perhaps it's increasing the contribution amount. Um, but something needs yeah. to be done. Ra- raising the uh, raising the cap of income. Right. right. Raising the cap of income. I mean, yeah. you're currently capping. High, I think the cap is $100,000 a yeah. year. I mean, you could, you could really if you, benefit if, that program and seniors if you increase that cap um, significantly. Yeah. Uh, significantly. And that would make the system solvent. Unfortunately, it seems like the left doesn't. Republicans want to have that conversation because we want to ensure that seniors receive Social Security. I want to make, although granted, depending on where my career goes, maybe I'll never get Social Security if I have a pension. But Mm -hmm. but regardless, I've paid into it. You've paid into it, Marcus. Many listeners have paid into it. They deserve to receive those funds. Yeah. And it's the same thing I look at. And I, I know we've talked before, and I know you talk about it often. It's the same thing I talk about when we talk about other post-employment benefits, which I left out of my opening soliloquy about what Plymouth OPEB. County does. OPEB. We created the Plymouth County OPEB Trust Fund to allow communities, and it's one of the top performing in the state, to allow communities to pool the resources, pool funds, and actually have the money available to pay these other post-employment benefits. So outside of the pension obligations these communities have, they have health, dental, and other benefits that they were promised to employees. We are making sure at the county level and with the communities that participate that we are meeting that bill. That is a bill that's due owed to employees that worked in these municipalities. I look at Social Security the same way. That is due to you, to me, to everyone that's paid into it. We need to make sure that we take an honest look and have an honest dialogue about what we can do to make that more solvent because the current trajectory it's on, again, it's just math. At the end yeah. of the day, it's just numbers. You you started with, I think it was 12 or 14, 14 folks paying in for every one person that was taking out of it. You're now down to about one and a half to two people paying in for every one person paying out. You're going in the wrong direction. So again, you might not necessarily need to raise retirement ages. You might not have to do any of that stuff. What you may need to do is create a new funding stream for it to make sure it's solvent because people are going to rely on that in their retirement. Um, and that, that I think, to me, when DeSantis gets attacked for that, I just note the irony that that attack is coming from Donald Trump. Right? Yeah, right. So it's like Donald Trump is attacking him for wanting to do what conservatives have, I think, talked about doing for many years, which is reforming, not reforming, because I hate the word reform because it makes you seem like you're changing something. But conservatives have been pointing out and DeSantis was one of them. There's an issue with this. We need to do something about this. The Democrats are going to do the demagoguery by saying, well, you just want to, you just want to take it away. No. I mean, um, there have been like Republican candidates for president in high places like Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, uh, comes to mind that have talked about privatizing the program and all of that. So it's not like it's not like that's entire that that allegation well, so from I, made out of whole cloth. No, I will say this though. I think when the notion of privatizing, look, how many companies, how many private sector companies had pensions, right? I mean, my grandfather worked for Harvard. He had a pension. Mm-hmm. Harvard actually might still have a pension, so that's a pretty poor yeah. poor analogy. Uh, folks that worked for the phone company, right, years yeah. ago, got a pension, could retire early. Every single- or they got fired before it could vest. Right. My, my grandfather actually worked. For, I just heard the story yesterday from my aunt. My grandfather got fired from Berkshire Hathaway when he worked in the New Bedford Mill, the one that went belly up. Oh, yes. He'd been on the job for 19 years. He had a pe- pension would vest in 20. Wow. Um, and 
when he was the foreman for HVAC and um, HVAC's important, air conditioning is important yes. in a textile mill. Oh, yes. Yeah. So he had it running <laughs> really well. So. And, and so when the textiles started to come out uh, in a way that was substandard and not ready for, um, you know, uh, uh, distribution, they asked him to come back. And he said, I only come back if you give me back my pension. They refused to. Right. So that's, and I mean, that's, that's one awful. of those things where I, I that, what the problem is, is with privatizing things is that the, uh, the, the profit always becomes master to the, the service. Well, it does. And the, just the last point to tie it up though, is most of these companies took pension systems and turned them into 401ks. Mm-hmm. So I think what Paul Ryan proposed, and this is dusting off cobwebs for me, I think Paul Ryan's proposal yeah. was because Social Security is basically a pension. It's a yeah. pension system. It is. It was flipping it into being a 401k program. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that there are things that we can do. The federal government takes in trillions and trillions of dollars. There are things that we can do to ensure the solvency of Social Security without having to flip it into being a 401k system. And I think that's what many folks, many Republicans, maybe not uh, make the point well, but many Republicans have wanted to do because, again, that's a real problem that is coming down the pipeline. I'm going to take a break. We'll be right back. Download the WBSM app and listen to us everywhere. 300. Transitioning out of the military, it's difficult. Just about everything around you changes. I would get phone calls that brothers were dying. Some of them to suicide. And I'd found myself in another cold cemetery. And I started to wonder if I was next. It's a struggle to know that you're facing challenges, but not be ready to face them. Sleep doesn't come easy, and when it comes, it doesn't last long. You're tired all the time. I didn't reach out for that help, but thank God my wife did. She got me registered for Wounded Warrior Project, talking to somebody that would listen to me and understood my story, helped me realize that it was time to change. There's a new fight. There's a new mission, and that's something I am eternally grateful for. See how we help warriors combat stigma at woundedwarriorproject.org slash combat stigma. You've spent all day hearing about the news. Now's your chance to react to it. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Call Chris and Marcus now at 508-996-0500. Or send a text via app chat on the WBSM app. Now, back to South Coast Tonight. Hey, welcome back. We're with Jared Valenzola. He's the resident Republican for the evening. And uh, we're, we've been talking about... All right, so a few questions before we hit the uh, next break and finish out the hour. Sure. Um, Ron DeSantis seems like your guy. Uh, any other candidates come to mind? Yeah, I mean, I... I- I like Nikki Haley. Um, you know, she's never going to win. No, I, she's, she's running for vice president. I'm um, the UN ambassador. I know she's governor of South Carolina yep. too, but it's people on. Yeah, I mean, doesn't have the name ID. No, doesn't have the name ID. I mean, I, it's really a Trump DeSantis fight. You know, for me, DeSantis maybe wouldn't necessarily be my my top, but for right now, he seems to be presenting. Again, I'm a principled conservative, so. Yeah. He presents to me the conservative package, the conservative ideology, and I think again, he he. Look, I'm a disciple of Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan's the reason I'm a Republican. He's the reason I'm a conservative. I've studied him extensively. Studied his approach, and certainly DeSantis isn't Reagan. I don't think we're going to have Reagan again. Um, but DeSantis, I think, at least can encapsulate articulating conservative policy points, executing conservative policy. 
He can he has some semblance of wit and a sense of humor, um, which I, I think is it, it plays well. Joe Biden does the same thing. I mean, Biden has the self-deprecating humor. Biden has the occasional wit, and but, that but translates to people. Biden's and, made his bones in politics with the his his retail politics exactly. ability, like and it really over the years uh, hasn't been as good as it used to be, but still very good. And when he was, you know, at, in his prime, he was, uh, you know, remarkably personable and everybody like really liked him. For um, sure. Yeah. And that you have to contend with that. The biggest thing I watched in 2020 on Real Clear Politics, <clears throat> you know, how they aggregate polls. And the biggest yeah. thing I looked at was the likability, mm -hmm. right? Not favorability, likability. And I remember heading, getting close to that election, Biden's, likability over Hillary Clinton was some ungod it was like, like plus 47 yeah. right it was just this incredible number and i yeah. remember i was saying it to, to to friends and family privately i was like starting to get a bad feeling about this because mm -hmm. people hate trump but they hated hillary too right like they, they hated them both yeah people don't hate biden they don't. Uh, independent I, Republic. I know plenty of Republicans who do. I'm not saying there is nobody. Yeah, and they always have. And they always have, yeah. and they always will. I'm talking about independent rural voters. I'm talking about you know women voters in rural Pennsylvania that delivered the presidency for Trump in 2016, watched for four years, and said, "I've had it. <laughs> I've had enough of this." Mm -hmm. And the biggest issue they were voting on was. COVID-19, and then they looked at Biden and they were like, well, you know what? This guy might be kind of sketchy and he might be a little out of it, but you know what? I kind of, I, I like him better than I liked Hillary. So you know what? I can flip my vote back to the Democratic nominee this cycle. And again, I think that like, I mean, again, not favorability, likability, because there's a lot of times where like people dislike what the person is doing. That's your favorability, but they still like the person, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's the big thing Republicans need to pay attention to. And and I'm not necessarily certain DeSantis is going to have necessarily a high likability factor either, but I think, I don't think the story's been written on him the way it's been written on Trump. And, you know, if Trump's nominee, I think Trump does still stand a, a chance at winning. You know, you're sure. not going to have COVID-19 dominating yeah. it. So, you know, the, the, never underestimate Trump, and I certainly don't yeah. um, underestimate him at your own peril. But, you know, I think for the overall party, at least, and, and, and you know, not talking about necessarily the country, if we're talking strictly for the Republican Party, Ron DeSantis, I think, would make a remarkable conservative standard bearer for the National Party. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. <laughs> so, Jared, we're going we're gonna to hit some... Some more local topics in the, in the next hour. And um, and if you want to call in, you can at 508-996-0500. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. And um, that's, uh, that's pretty much it for this hour. And so, listen, right now what I'm really just trying to do is uh, hit the post. Um, you know, just hit the hit the 30-second mark. You know what's great about the pitch clock, Marcus, is this Red Sox game, is not even an hour old and they're already in the bottom of the fourth. Yeah. It's How great is changed the game baseball back to normal. We gave away Red Sox tickets thanks to New Bedford Mayor yeah. Scott Lang, former New Bedford Mayor Scott Lang at Lang's ex-affairs 